Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. A week today will be the official day one of the COVID-delayed 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Competition will then continue over the next 16 days, with an estimated 11,000 Olympians competing in 330 events across 33 sports. In other words, it will be a veritable sports smorgasbord. And if you're a sports junkie like me, you've been jonesing for watching with as much anticipation as athletes have been training for competing in their respective sports. Granted, even I thought the IOC was overdoing it with the inclusion of some sports that, frankly, do grave injustice to the name. I mean, can someone explain the appeal of handball? I get that it's like water polo on land, but like curling, handball strikes me as no more worthy of Olympic competition than a netball or croquet. <laughs> For what it's worth, my favorite sports are swimming, track and field, and gymnastics, in that order. But I would like to think that my informed complaints over the years had something to do with the IOC reducing the number of sports from 41 in Rio down to 33 in Tokyo because I made clear my concerns about diminishing returns in this regard in my blog commentary titled Rio Olympics Day 1 on August 6, 2016. Which brings me to my abiding pet peeve, namely the eyesore of too many empty seats at too many venues no matter where the Olympics are held. And yes, the irony afoot would be laughable if the circumstances giving rise to it were not so deadly. Regular readers of my blog tell me they look forward to reading my quadrennial rant about empty seats the way some people look forward to watching the opening ceremony. <laughs> the irony of ironies, though, is that I was first provoked to unleash it when no less a country than China was hosting the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Specifically, I wondered why, with over one billion people at their beck and call, China's totalitarian leaders did not ensure that all venues would always be jam-packed with spectators. I simply found it difficult to reconcile all the Chinese hype about those games being a source of so much national pride, with the sight of so many empty seats at their so-called coming-out Olympics. Then came the 2012 London Olympics, but instead of describing my rant on that occasion, 
Here is an excerpt of what I wrote from London Olympics Day 1 on July 28, 2012. And I quote, I am already irritated. Why the hell are there so many empty seats at so many venues? This has become a quadrennial farce. The fact is that government agencies and big corporations invariably gobble up the lion's share of tickets to all Olympic events to dole out as perks or to curry business favours. This makes it virtually impossible for ordinary people to get them, even if they could afford them. Then, because it was no money out of their pockets, many who get those tickets think nothing of failing to show up. Of course, only a privileged oaf would blow off swimming, even when Michael Phelps is being featured. Mind you, it's not as if London organisers were not aware this might be the case. Remember Beijing? Therefore, it boggles the mind that they did not enlist tens of thousands of volunteers, from pensioners to school kids, to show up at a moment's notice to fill seats if ticket holders did not show up. They could have warned in print on all tickets that the ticket holder forfeits the seat if it is not occupied by 15 minutes before the scheduled start of the event. Instead, shots of the stands at some venues give the dispiriting impression that, unless it's soccer or cricket, Britons don't give a damn, which would clearly make a mockery of the Olympic spirit. Whereas, in fact, the millions of ordinary Britons who lined the 156 miles of the men's road race in cycling belie this impression and demonstrate that their spirits are not only thriving, but eager to be on display. End quote. And yes, I had cause to rant in similar fashion four years later, in the blog commentary on the Rio Olympics I mentioned earlier. So you see, my pet peeve about the lack of spectators at Olympic venues has become an even more regular feature of this quadrennial spectacle than some sports. <laughs> but naturally, given COVID-19, I was prepared to quarantine my rant, fully expecting the 2020 Tokyo Olympics to play out in a bubble like the NBA and other big-time sports. Except that, on March 22, 2020, Canada threatened to withdraw if the Games were not postponed, and all hell broke loose as other countries began following suit. Then, on March 30, 2020, the IOC postponed the Games one year to July 24, 2021. Of course, the immediate thought back then was that this postponement would enable the Tokyo Olympics to play out pretty close to normal, 
and I was already saddling up to get on my high horse, to rant as usual about too many empty seats at venues. But COVID is no respecter, even of the best game plans. And so, we all watched anxiously, as beleaguered Tokyo organizers continued planning against the odds. As it happened, though, the most notable of those odds was public opinion in Japan, with polls showing an increasing majority of people wanting the Olympics either postponed again or cancelled. As I did in a recent podcast episode on July 3, I have often denounced people travelling on cruise ships as vacationers revelling in Petri dishes. <laughs> so I'm obliged to admit that athletes travelling to Japan to compete in the midst of a raging pandemic would seem worthy of even greater denunciation. The point is that, despite the one-year postponement, I realized relatively early on that holding the games in a bubble would probably still be the prudent thing to do. It was discouraging enough that there seemed no end to COVID variants that were becoming increasingly infectious, if not deadly. But the putatively competent Japanese government shocked the world when it appeared no more prepared than some third-rate banana republics to vaccinate its people. In my podcast episode titled Online Comments and the Fate of Democracy on June 12, 2021, I shared a little secret I'd been keeping. It was of the experiment my administrator prevailed upon me to participate in, related to search engine optimization for my blog, The Opinions Journal. I only had to comment on select reports in the newspapers I read daily. But the fringe benefit is that I ended up commenting on the events leading up to the fateful decision Japan made last week to ban all spectators from the Tokyo Olympics, you guessed it, to hold the games in a bubble. Therefore, I can think of no better way to continue my quadrennial rant than to share just nine of the hundreds of comments I wrote in real time as this saga about spectators unfolded over the past year. And for those of you with superstitious minds, nine stems from nothing more than a pending sports wager with an old friend. Ironically, this saga took a decisive turn on March 20 of this year, almost one year to the day after Canada triggered the initial postponement. That's when surging COVID cases forced Tokyo organisers to ban all overseas spectators from the Games. And so that seems a fitting date to begin with those real-time comments. Accordingly, 
The first was to a New York Times report on March 20 on that ban as follows. Michael Phelps will tell you that hearing the cheers of spectators from the USA was critical to his success. So this is bound to give Japan an even bigger home team advantage than usual. And it just so happens that homogeneous Japan has smaller expat communities than most countries. End quote. The second was from a New York Times report on April 7 on opinion polls showing more Japanese people opposed to holding the games than ever. As follows. I thought banning overseas spectators would give Japan an unfair home team advantage. But with so many Japanese opposed to even holding the games, this clearly might not be the case. Go Team Bahamas! <laughs> End quote. The third was to a London Times and Sunday Times report on April 15 on increasingly hostile protests against holding the Olympics as follows. Japan should put everyone out of their misery and just call the whole thing off now. Given prevailing pandemic conditions and the manifest hostility of the Japanese people, this is becoming tantamount to holding the Olympics in a friggin' war zone. End quote. The fourth was to a New York Times report on May 8 on growing concerns about much of the world having no access to vaccines, as follows. America has a veritable glut of vaccines. Hell, according to the CDC, careless storage has seen CVS and Walgreens waste more vaccines in recent months than it would have taken to vaccinate each Olympic athlete ten times and still have some left over. So why dither? The IOC should get every athlete, coach, judge, staff, volunteer, and every other person associated with the Games from every country vaccinated today and be done with it already. End quote. The fifth was to a Reuters report on May 22 on how Japan's slow and low vaccination rate might affect its ability to host a safe Olympic Games. As follows. The whole world has a vested interest in these games. This is why I am stupefied that Prime Minister Suga and President Biden didn't agree during their recent summit in D.C. on a plan to ensure that every person remotely associated with them, including athletes, coaches and staff, 
from every country will be vaccinated. The vaccines are available. And all the Japanese Prime Minister has to do is restrict access by unvaccinated locals in Tokyo accordingly. End quote. The sixth was to an Axios report on May 26 on concerns about few athletes from developing countries being vaccinated and therefore turning the Olympics into a super-spreader event, as follows. Again, it's in everyone's national interest to hold these games. Therefore, the IOC should have prevailed upon the US, China and the EU to provide each country's organising committee with enough vaccines to vaccinate every Olympic athlete, coach and support staff. And everyone attending the Games should have a tamper-proof ID badge stamped with a V for visual assurance, which everyone should be required to wear whenever they set foot outside their private rooms. End quote. The seventh was to a BBC report on June 12 on the Japanese government declaring that a cancellation or another postponement of these games is simply out of the question, as follows. Let's face it, folks. The Tokyo Olympics are going ahead, come what may, because all the major powers of the world have a vested interest in seeing them go. Like those multinational banks that were too big to fail in 2008, these Olympics are too big to cancel or even to postpone again in 2021. End quote. The eighth was to an NBC report on June 21 on Tokyo organizers deciding to allow up to 10,000 spectators in Olympic venues, but under strict rules that required them to wear masks and prohibited them from cheering. <laughs> As follows. What's the point of allowing spectators in venues if you're threatening to kick them out if they cheer? You might as well fill the stands with those familiar cardboard cutouts. There is still enough time to vaccinate enough people to fill every venue to capacity. Make vaccination a requirement for entry and let the games begin as normal." End quote. And finally, the ninth was to a CNN report on July 8 on Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga announcing a state of emergency and, more to the point, a full ban on all spectators as follows. Athletes routinely say they feed off the cheering crowd.
So I suppose banning spectators from every country, including Japan, will actually make these games fairer. End quote. But you will notice that those nine comments have brought us full circle to the inescapable conclusion that, despite all we've suffered and weathered over the past year, we've ended up right where we began, namely with the 2020 Tokyo Olympics playing out in a bubble, with no spectators in sight. Unfriggin' believable. And, apropos of unbelievable, IOC President Thomas Bach ensured public opinion in Japan will only become even more hostile after he mistakenly called the Japanese people Chinese during a high-profile meeting with Tokyo organizers on Tuesday. <laughs> I'd be remiss to end this episode without commenting on Friday's opening ceremony. It is usually the most attended and most viewed event of every Olympic Games. The former obviously will not be the case this year, but it might be the reason why the latter is even more so. But. Truth be told, no country has been able to match the technical wizardry, precision choreography, and sheer grandeur Beijing displayed. To give you a sense, here is what I wrote in real time in Opening Ceremony of Beijing Olympics. Unprecedented. Spectacular and awe-inspiring on August 9, 2008. And I quote, I found myself continually exclaiming, how did they do that? Specifically, I marveled at the serene manner in which the Chinese fused 21st century technology with ancient graphics, costumes, and choreography to remind us that they were the world's only superpower for centuries before the Americans even thought of fighting the British to give birth to the United States of America." End quote. In other words, even without pandemic limitations, I doubted Japan's opening ceremony would have been able to match let alone beat that. In any event, even though I shall be indiscriminate in my viewing, on TV and online, I shall be far more discriminating than usual in my blogging. As for podcasting, I'm pretty sure this will be my only episode. I hope you enjoy the games as much as I know I'm going to. And here's to your favorite Olympians performing well. And with that I say, let the games begin.
That's it, and if you liked it, please subscribe. It's free. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.